Listen up, fanboy. It's the Fanboy Planet Podcast, and here he is, your host, the very animated Derek McCaw. We're doing animation tonight? We are. I don't are. even know what it was. What a slide. Night it is. I just slid that one in there. But this is I'm no more of a pup, I'm more of a puppet tune. It's it's you stop are. motion. I've had a long day. It's quite likely that it is going to be a stop motion night. This is Puppetoons, Derek McCall, that editor. Was, that was That's, George Powell. Right? That was George Powell, yeah. Puppet Tunes, yeah. Uh Super Marination. What else do you want to go in for with that? Claymation. Yeah, Claymation. Uh, so uh, anyway, this is Derek McCaw, editor in chief of fanboyplanet.com, and this is yet another one of our fabulous uh interview podcast from comic-con 2015 good lord the amount of content that the two of us alone generated have generated from comic-con uh well we had nate helping and a few photographs from steph uh but uh you've been you've been lifting the lion's share or uh, i want to be able to uh you know prove hey there it is We've got a lot of cool, and, and I'm dividing up a lot of stuff that I normally wouldn't do. I, I'd put them all in together, and this time it's like, oh, you know, if you're a Doctor Who fan, you don't want to wade through my pictures of, uh, you know, the Major Matt, Matt Mason action figure. I do. Car. I know. I only got one picture, but that was strictly that was for you. Picture. That's why I stopped to take that. I have a picture of Lady Action. Out uh, of the box. Oh, oh, out of the box. Because yes. I have a picture of the box that you took, I have and, a I, picture and of I'm the box. going to run that I later. Got, I got Lady Action out of the box. Uh we're talking about a doll, and you know what? That's what makes it all the sadder. Because <laughs> if I had a photograph right now of Rick's face going, I got a lady action out of the box. Uh, <laughs> it was one of those last minute, the show was closing down. I said, come on, take her out of the box for me. <laughs> who did you talk to? Uh, I don't know. It was the lady who was at the oh, Okay, I don't know her. Um, but uh, <laughs> She was nice. I'm sure. Anyway. All the folder all aside, this is another interview night, and this is a little bit more of a hodgepodge. We've had some kind of themed one. We had Ash versus Evil Dead and Teachers, the Katie Dids, in a kind of a special sort of a cable television uh, night uh, podcast episode. Really fun stuff. Uh, that has already been out, and I actually, in the rare moments of, of, oh, I'm listening to the podcast, when we do interviews so that I can hear and go, did we sound any, you know, were we smart? And I want to thank uh, Dread Central was one of the other voices at the Ash versus Evil Dead Central, uh-huh. and I should have called them out. Really nice guys. Um, and there were a couple of websites that unfortunately – I didn't see who they were, but uh, Dread Central, I do know. So I thank them for helping uh, drive that conversation. Um, and, uh, and and so we had that. We have coming up still uh, a Dark Horse. Well, it's really a comics-centric episode, but with a lion's share of it is talent through Dark Horse, connected to Dark Horse Books. And special thanks to uh, Dark Horse publicity manager, um, Ob Driver, for helping arrange a lot of that episode. Uh, we also have... Good Lord. We have Cartoon Network Cartoon slash Adult Network. Swim. We have things from Teen Titans Go and Mike Tyson Mysteries. And then we have still to come 
the fabled CarCast 2015. All of these will be available on iTunes, uh, which you can rate us, review us, uh, t- subscribe, and tell your friends. Rating us and reviewing us is kind of the same. Uh, but I already just, know that I'm going to do the CarCast logo as one of those block letters on the on the hillside vanishing point kind of uh, things going. I, 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 yeah. I sense it. Again, it's weird that I can see it in your eyes when this idea crosses your, yeah. uh, you know, the twinkle. And I know what each twinkle means. Yeah. It's getting a little there disturbing. There are a limited number of twinkle configurations. <laughs> this is true. But still... I can read your twinkle. Oh. Uh, and uh, anyway, and you can also what about find, tonight? We can find us on the Stitcher app. Wait, I'm going through the spiel of how to find us. You found us on the Stitcher app. Uh, pod, what was the other one you said? Podcast Bay? Pod, pod Bay. Pod Bay. Uh, and Open the Pod Bay doors. Uh, I will remember that now. You've got to be more gentle about it. And you can find us at www.fanboyplanet.com where you can find Amazon links to many of the things we talk about or at least follow a link and, and search box through there if you cannot find it at your local small business. Again, absolutely all about keeping your local comic shop alive because they support you. They support you. Um, that's where everybody knows your name, and uh, probably in the long run, it's cheaper than drinking. Yeah. And so, uh, also, no. of course, if you like, <laughs> you drink too much, you fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, but I've seen the bottles. You buying podcast, buying comics, comics over. True, true, true. Nothing and of course, lastly, if you'd like to support us, if you've made it this far through the shenanigans because you want to know who we're interviewing tonight, uh, please, uh, you can find there's a little PayPal button on each and every page on Fanboy Planet, and you can donate there. Where you can also find articles on fanboyplanet.com, especially Comic-Con related, where we will have at least photographs from, I think, all of these interviews, all these podcasts, with the exception of, this year, you know, we're in this special place for CarCast. Didn't take a single picture. We just sat there going, hmm, we shouldn't have had dinner first. That was the mistake. I think you can do artist recreation drawings. I think I can. I think I got an old photo of him being attacked by Starro from a few years ago there at Comic-Con. It's always worth bringing up for CarCast. Anyway, so you can support us there, and then you can find, uh, like I say, pages full of articles and coverage of Comic-Con and beyond tonight's episodes. Like I said, kind of a hodgepodge. We do have... It's sort of television, but it's web TV, if you will, a web series coming up. And this was one of those. It was. I'm I'm grateful one that it was one of the first uh, publicity emails that I got out of Comic Con saying, "Would you be interested in?" And I was like, "There's no way that I I can't at least try. You can turn me down, but I will try to get into the room for this, which was for Super Mansion, which you're probably going blink, blink, blink out there." It's from the creators of Robot Chicken, and uh, but with it's the technology of with the technology of puppet Robot tunes, uh, with, uh, yes, uh, uh, but all original puppets, and so that's the that's the yeah. difference. A superhero parody written by Zeb Wells, who's done a lot of Marvel comics as well, but but really in my mind, he joined the staff of Robot Chicken, and it got funnier, it got smarter. And uh, quite a great addition there. So he and Matt Senreich, the uh, executive producer on Robot Chicken, combined to create this show. We're gonna we talk to them too, but the big gun is they got the one who knocks 
on the puppet theater door. <laughs> uh, Brian Cranston is voicing the lead character, Titanium Rex, in Supermansion. And so I got to sit down at a round table with Brian Cranston and Jillian Bell, who is the uh, very funny comedian who was in uh, 22 Jump Street, uh, is probably the best known right now. Uh, for that. That's what everybody at the table said. But as well, so we have a conversation tonight with Brian Cranston and Jillian Bell. Let's go into it. This is, this is, he's been riding a horse here too long. <laughs> he does use beefy thighs. Beefy thighs. I like it. <laughs> what, uh, what hooked you, Brian? What was it, to not just do your voice, but to kind of get creatively? Because they let me play with the doll. That's <laughs> it. Um, no, I think it's, it's, it had, a, had they pitched that it, this was just uh, uh, superheroes, Fighting other, you know, supervillains, and it's like, yeah, okay. So it wouldn't have. What really got me interested in doing this is that they said, but they all they all live in, under the same roof, and they all have to deal with each other and the, you know, personal space, and it's it's, it's like uh, like being in a dorm room, you know, and they have to who who's not cleaning up after themselves, and who has personal hygiene problems. Who has an addiction problem? Who just threw up in the sink and didn't, you know, who's going to go shopping? Who has, you know, so it's, I thought, wow, that's great because you have this whole world of fighting villains and doing this noble act. And then you have the real world that everybody can relate to about just having roommates, what that was like or is like for people. And it's like, it's a very relatable thing. So it's a, it gives audiences a chance to go, oh my God, they're dealing with the same shit I got to deal with. And yet now they're superheroes. So they're like, I know that guy. I was roommates with that guy. That's he right. was the worst. But he couldn't fly. Yeah, that's the difference. So what are the biggest similar, similarities between your characters and yourself? I could fly. <laughs> Me too. Obviously. Yeah. Similarities? I... I uh, I, I think my face is just like this guy. That I do. I uh, when you. Oh, it's not. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I, no, no, it is, Jillian. Listen, when. Okay. Okay, I'm all okay. ears. Okay, when when I have no expression, when I just really, you know, when it, when there's nothing going on, I look mean, and so does he. So watch. watch. Can so I see I, it? Yeah. Jesus, man. <laughs> It's, right? It's like you, you, you like uh, mothers take their hands of their children. It's like, Across the street. Come on, come on, come on. Uh, so that's pretty much the, the main similarity. And I have big beefy thighs. That too. That too. I'm sort of like Lex who I play. I'm, I'm a people pleaser and I try to join in all the fun. And sometimes it doesn't happen, you know? But that's fine. I'll just go home and hang out with my sister. We'll watch Dateline. Did you get that? Did you get that on the table? Okay, good. <laughs> to catch a predator. I am obsessed with I gotta watch that. Yeah, I gotta watch it. Are you guys conversing enough in like the superhero? world to get some of the, the real deep jokes that, you know, that the nerds are going to really truly eat up. I feel like Zeb had to explain a few things to me. Uh, he's been pretty wonderful. Some things go over my head, but that's just me in general. I'm a stupid person. Oh, no. <laughs> huh? No, what, no. Brian, what are you going to say? You're just You're say slow, I'm smart. Oh, thank you so much, Brian. Um, no, we, we work for geeks. We work for superhero geeks, yeah. you know, and Zeb and Matt, and so... Anything that we don't completely understand, 
<laughs> we know they will. <laughs> and it's kind of sweet and sad at the same time. <laughs> but they know it, and uh, and so they they write, and it's all you know, it's all before us, and it's well written, it's well constructed. There's always some superhero element to each episode, and yet there's also some domestic issue that they have to deal with. So fun. Was there anything you were surprised to learn throughout the process, either about yourselves or something you didn't know? Some, learn, that we learned something about ourselves? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think so. I'm so self-centered that I don't think I'm <laughs> open enough to learn anything new about myself. Yeah. Yeah. I've always said that about you. I met yeah. you today for the first time, but I've always said that about you. Yeah, yeah, and you were you were right. And I'm right. You were right. Great. You're slow, but, yes. but you were Hello. right. Hello. Where is the bus, by the way? <laughs> You're waiting for the number four? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right up front. Pick a color. Perfect. Yeah. So would after, that be your superpower? After breaking bad, <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. You got praise from Sir Anthony Hopkins. Who's praise are you hoping for? Because we have one more minute. Huh. You got praise from Anthony. Hopkins. Well, I call him Tony, but um, <laughs> <laughs> his real friends call him Hopkins. Yeah, um, yeah, that was pretty amazing. Um, I, oh, <laughs> I just—it's it's now a his finger puppet. Super strength is carrying off into his real life. Well, see what happens now is that uh, you just blew our, the budget for season two. Yeah. <laughs> That's the whole budget right there. <laughs> Um, I think it is why we did this, so we can play with puppets. You know what? I can put his head on back. Whose praise do you want now? Oh, whose praise? Uh, I just want my wife to appreciate me and love me and not not threaten me anymore. That's a great answer. No one will notice. No one will notice. It's like you you got a pie in his face. There's my guy. Well, that was that was a great uh, th- that was fun, and to have uh, kind of just to be sort of sitting at a table, getting playful with Brian Cranston, which I knew he would be because he is a, a, a you know obviously a comedic background, but he's become known as this great dramatic actor, and uh, you know to be able to just kind of sit at a table and play around that's that's really fun. Then, of course, as I said we did uh, sit down with Zeb Wells and Matt Senreich and talk about the origins of Supermansion. So. Here it is. What, what would you guys like to talk about? <laughs> tell, us, tell us how this came to be. Give us the origin story of this project. Well, we've been working together on Robot Chicken for years, and Matt finally put a bug in my ear and said, hey, we're having fun with you know doing these Star Wars specials and the DC Comics specials around the horizon. You know, Why don't we create our own characters, create our own world to kind of have fun with? So that we're not, you know, the three-minute sketches are fun, and we love doing those, but we wanted to experiment with a little more character-based comedy, you know, characters that people can get to know and love. Yeah, take the superhero genre and just turn it 90 degrees on its side, you know, it's it's taking our Emperor phone call sketch and actually making a series about it, you know, that that's the kind of stuff we want to explore with the superhero genre. Yeah. What was one of the biggest challenges you faced putting everything together and um, probably the biggest challenge we faced is is making it as far as stop motion goes. Like it is a very slow and painful process. I mean, these puppets were hard to build, and you know, getting it done in the time frame that we need it's it's an exhausting process. But we have such talented people working in our company that it's like, yeah, they, they just you look at it and it looks it looks beautiful. Yeah, none of these you know none of these uh, characters you can't go to a store and buy them and pull them off the shelf. Every little 
thing that you see on screen has to be built and Sculpted figured and, out. Yeah. And, you know, we lean on our team to do that, but it's always a challenge. It's, the first season for us is always a challenge because yep. you're figuring all that out. How long does it take for each um, to animate, each animator does about 8 to 10 seconds a day, and we have about 15 animators that are happening, so, you know, it's a, it's, it's a long, like, probably for a whole season, it takes us about 15 months for a season, like, I would say 15 months out of the year we're working on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's less about the, what, media, what, you know, Adult Swim versus Crackle than it is about the show. With Robot Chicken, it's actually action figures, so you're using these figures that exist and we can do. Whereas this one, their puppets are, they look different, they're made differently, and, you know, it's about building an armature system that works. It's, it's getting into the nitty gritty of how the hands are gonna move, like, things like that that nobody else out there is even thinking about, we're stressing over about, I don't understand why he can't move his thumb. I would love them to make action figures. Yeah, of course, thing. it would be yeah. heaven to do so. And what's great is, you know, we have three D printers in the office now, so you know, we have all the molds ready to go. In Maya, we can send it to a, you know, an action figure company, and you know, call up McFarlane Toys, tell them to make these things. Then you just have to convince <laughs> Toys R Us to carry an action figure named Cooch, <laughs> which might might be hard. It'll be fine. Kids we love it. For breaking bad figures, I don't. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think. They're gonna make it. I'm looking at the cast and I see uh, Keegan Michael Key, Seth Green, Julian Bell, all these hilarious people who were primarily, you know, in comedy movies. And then I see Brian Cranston, and not to say that he's not a funny guy, of course, but he, of course, has done a lot more diverse things. How did he end up getting involved? In well, you're forgetting Malcolm in the Middle for how many years yeah. he was on. Um, but uh, but at the same time, like we always talked about the voice being a Brian Cranston type. Okay. Um, so you know, we just had to get the courage to actually ask him at some point. Um, and and luckily, he had done Robot Chicken a few times prior so we reached out and again it was one of those flattering things within 24 hours he called us back and said how much he um, he, he really liked the script and not only wanted to act in it but he wanted to produce it and make it with us um, so he partnered up with us and again we were in story meetings with him and figuring out how to make this show it's been really flattering what's the hardest part for you when you're writing the story and the characters from writing parody and skits like Robot Kitchen versus creating character driven comedy stories like this yeah you have it's well we have six characters and we notice quickly that if all of them don't have something to do that it, it doesn't it doesn't feel right and also even though the show is funny it has the Robot Chicken humor there has to be like real character moments within it or it just doesn't feel like worth your time you know like there has to be like legitimate cores to their character and they want to all have to, you know, have wants and needs that they're trying to figure out and, and show some evolution over time. And, and, and it was something that Zeb was already doing in comic books, you know, you know, we, we just lured him away from comic books to be on Robot Chicken, and then I always say, you know, like, I started in drama, you know, and it's weird to be doing sketch comedy all of a sudden, you know, with Robot Chicken, and, um, you know, now we get to actually tell stories and, uh, and, and dive into who these characters are, which has been really nice. Can you talk about some of the tropes that you guys send up, like some of the comic book, like, traditions and things that you kind of go after? Well, like in the second episode, one of Tit Titanium Rex is the older head of the, of the super team. He has a friend who dies and leaves him his three super pets. So so they have to, you know, like the, they, you have to deal with what would a an animal with superpowers really be like? Would they really be cute and cuddly or, you know, because animals are kind of selfish by nature, so locking yourself in a house with three of them with superpowers might not be the best idea. <laughs>
Thank you guys. Sorry about that. Yeah, no, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Very fun conversation. And now we sort of shift gears. It's still in different kinds of, shall we call it, uh, delivery of media. Uh, because one of the things, and I know you experienced a couple and I experienced a couple at Comic-Con of virtual reality experiences. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, we also got an offer to talk to uh, Trevor Roth at Roddenberry Entertainment, uh, the company for, by Gene Roddenberry's heirs taking care of his uh, of his properties. And uh, they're coming out on August 3rd. So that's next Monday when we record this. I don't know if you listening to this podcast or hearing it before or after it might have been last monday but i'm sure the app is still available they're releasing what fascinates me isn't it is uh, the challenge of virtual reality is figuring out how do you tell a story while still really taking advantage of the of the ability of the viewer to be anywhere in the room or to to move their point of view at their own will instead of when you watch a film it's you know the camera's planted that's the view Three, um, you know, virtual reality is a little different. So they're releasing an app, and I believe it's uh, three ninety nine, which is not bad for it's a fifteen minute short story. I'll call it a short film um, with uh, Tamlin Tamita, and it's called um, White Room Two B Three. It's kind of a locked room sci fi mystery thing, but you download it to your phone or your your device, and you can move it around, and the point of view changes with it. So I talked to Trevor Roth, who is the producer and you know vice president behind this really pushing this technology and we made a couple of revelations in the interview about how they're really trying to move the entire industry forward so I, I i was doubly impressed by what they were doing not just the technology itself but that they're kind of giving the tools to anybody who wants to play with it so trevor roth okay so let us talk about uh what was your inspiration to do uh, VR experience? You know, I, I think the inspiration, uh, I suppose, isn't different than the inspiration for you know any filmmakers out there. But we wanted to do more. We wanted to live the legacy of Gene Roddenberry and see if we couldn't push the boundaries um, and break the mold in a new way. And we realized when we found the technology behind this that it didn't have to be only what we put on the screen. Um, breaking the mold it can be the way we put it on the screen and the way people consume what's on the screen and when we started to recognize that 360 degree camera systems were out there we uh, realized that we wanted to gain an expertise in how you do 360 in a narrative form which no one had ever done before so that we can actually tell stories with it so it's not just a gimmick or the ability to put you into you know you know, a forest and would look around, but for you to actually be able to watch and enjoy the journeys of characters and, uh, you know, their trials and tribulations and failures and achievements the way you would a normal film, but from a completely different perspective because you're literally immersed in it versus sort of watching it from afar. And uh, that's why we created Roddenberry 360. Roddenberry 360 is... Uh, a new endeavor. Uh, it is a partnership between Roddenberry Entertainment and Immersive Media, who are best known for Google Street View, um, well-versed in 360 technology, of course. And it is our attempt to rock the boat a little bit and revolutionize what 
uh, film or television or entertainment can be by creating brand new ways to look at 360-degree content and brand new ways to bring it to people and say, hey, you can get more out of a film or a television show or whatever it might be, and this is how you can do it. And if you're a director or a producer or a network or a studio, we can help you do that. And that's what Roddenberry 360 is all about. Yeah, okay. And I, I've seen that other people are experimenting with it, playing with it. You guys must have been working on this for quite some time. This has definitely been something that we've been working on for a long time. It is no easy feat to figure out how to move a mountain. It doesn't happen in a day. And, uh, and 360 is definitely that within the world of entertainment. But uh, I can say with a fair amount of confidence that while we'll continue to learn and while we will always uh, be striving for bettering the processes we even have in place, um, we feel confident that we've cracked this thing well enough to say, you know what, we can not only create brand new content like the one we're offering, the very first offering, White Room, White Room 02v3, but we can also help other people um, gain a foothold in the 360-degree area by utilizing our experience, our expertise, and the technology and patents that, uh, that our partners have. Okay, so that's interesting. Do you really help up-and-coming producers or uh, you know, other people stories to tell? Yeah, Roddenberry 360 is a two-fold, um, a two-fold entity. It is meant to be something that people can come to and say, hey, we'd like some 360-degree uh, you know, content. What can you create for us? What can you produce for us? What can you make? Um, but it's also definitely meant to encourage other people who are, you know, well-known directors, writers, uh, producers, networks, studios to say, hey, we would like to incorporate 360 in something we're doing. Can you show us how you do that? Can you um, teach us the ins and outs of it? Can we utilize your expertise on set to allow us to provide 360 uh, from, you know, your learning and your knowledge base? How long is the narrative going to say? This particular um, uh, offering that we're coming out with is around 15 to 20 minutes. It is uh, a showpiece for us to explain what Roddenberry 360 can be. Again, it's called White Room 02B3. We got some great actors in it. It includes Brecken Meyer, David Blue, Mylon Sarley, Tony Janning, uh, Tamlin Tamita, Doug Jones, and I'm forgetting one. Oh, Rachel True. Um, so it's definitely something that we wanted to bring some talent to. We wanted to prove to people that we understand how to do this, that, um, you know, we, we too have learned a lot in, in the process of it. Um, we would probably do things differently every time because this is brand new um, frontier uh, for, uh, for everybody in entertainment. But uh, hopefully in the tradition of Roddenberry, we are leading the way a little bit and, um, and uh, bringing something new to the table. Did you hit a wall with narrative length? That's something I've been curious about with this. Because I know when Douglas Trumbull did Show Scan way back when, it turned out like you could only watch half an hour of it. Uh, you've got a headache, and then the experiments with 48 FPS. Uh, Peter Jackson's been doing. So this is, yeah. as you say, a new form yeah. in, in many ways. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if you're asking if there is a wall that's been hit in regard to how long regu- you can make the oh, story. Got it. Um, I would say the answer is yes. Um, I would say, and I would say it because of this. First off, audiences are not used to uh, seeing this kind of thing, so you have to give it to them in a bite that they can chew. Um, if you if you uh, you know create a barrage that is too much for them, um, senses are not you know ready for that. Uh, that could change, of course, because 
Uh, if you look at things today, you know, things used to be, you know, slower cuts and longer, you know, foot, and now it's cut, 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 move, you know what I mean? So I think that today's audiences is already different than like when I grew up. So I think that things uh, are, are, uh, are thing, um, you know, something that audiences get used to and things will change over time. For the time being, you know, we wanted to take a first step into this and say, look, one, just take a look at this for these 15 minutes, absolutely. Understand how this works. Train your body, your mind, your eyes to consume this because no one can see 360 degrees in one foul shot. you got to look around. You have to, That way you can look at it again and again, by the way, and see different things each time. Um, as things evolve, uh, again, I think that that will transform. Um, I think that there will always be a good and bad way to use uh, you know, 360. Um, I think that the ability for many people to take it and say, look at this cool, fun gimmick, um, will work momentarily, but will honestly be a waste of what 360 can bring to the table. I think if you look at 360 as a filmmaker's ability to bring more to an audience, to provide more data about a scene or a character or a story, I think now you're looking at a, a level where you have to use it intelligently, uh, strategically, sparingly in ta- at times, but um, but hopefully meaningfully so that you can create more substance for your audience. And I think that that's what we want to hopefully help people do. And you just, I just did a demo, so the people that listen to this now, yes. uh, of it. Um, but the viewer seems rooted. Are you working on technology that you can move around? Absolutely. Um, we chose in this particular case, again, White Rumo 2B3 is our first offering. So it will be available on August 3rd, and you can download it on your smart device, um, or in, you know, tablet or phone from uh, Google or Android or um, I, you know, iTunes or whatever it might be. Um, but in this particular case, we decided, look, let's go with something that is easy for people um, that is adjacent to what they're used to. The idea of starting to move it around, which can absolutely happen. You can definitely take this camera system and put it on rollers and move it around and all these kinds of things. But again, you have to realize, what am I doing to the viewer by doing that? What is that? Is that something they're going to be used to enough? Um, is that something that um, you know people are going to be ready for? Or is that a second step? Or a third step, you know, and I think that's the key is to recognize that, um, you know, changes don't happen um, in one foul swoop. Um, look at Star Trek itself, you know. Um, at first it was a failure even, you know what I mean? And it took a while for people to understand it and engage in it and, 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 and see its beauty and its value and all these kinds of things. And I think that with anything new... As much as it's fun to lead the way, you got to recognize that the world can only come with you so quickly. And I think that that a lot of decisions with White Room O2B3 were made with that in mind. Um, but sky's the limits of what really can happen eventually. Absolutely. Yeah. Are you developing for the headsets things like uh, Oculus and uh, I can't remember what Microsoft is, but another camera. So um, sometime after things come out for uh, Android and iOS and all that kind of stuff. White Room 2B3 will become available for the Oculus Rift and the Samsung Gear VR. Um, and obviously those are, you know, up-and-coming um, new pieces of hardware that will allow this thing to really come to life in new ways. Um, at the same time, truthfully, there aren't that many of them out there. 
and we wanted to get this to a place where a lot of people can enjoy it right away and then move to things that obviously are, are super cool because we love it but um, are probably less proliferated in, in you know in the populace. Uh, you said it's coming out on August third. What's the price point on this? Two ninety nine. That's quite a deal. Yeah, we think it's <laughs> quite a deal. We we wanted to allow this to be very compelling to people. We wanted it to be a good deal. We wanted people to give it a try and see what it is, and you know, get their friends together and all these kinds of things. Because um, I think that the idea is that we want to be trailblazing for other things to come behind us, even if it's our own stuff, um, if not other people's. And um, to do that, you know, you got to get something that people can find really easily and accessible, and the threshold's got to be low enough. So we did a very good job of hopefully creating something that um, is compelling. We did a good job of making the production of it not cost so much um, by asking people favors, by getting them excited about 360 itself and, and what we wanted to do so that they would do things uh, for lesser uh, dollar amounts. Um, and that way we can pass on our savings to, to the viewer and say, hey, you know, there's not a lot, you know, this isn't a lot of money. Give it a try. Give it a shot. Tell your friends. And I will. Thanks for ta- taking the time to talk about it. Absolutely. Thank you very much. We hope Great. you enjoy it. Thanks. Cool. I like when we get to talk about the future. And we kind of did. And I think that there's, some, there's something there. I'm still not sure what the future of entertainment looks like. But I think this is the this is the pathway. So really good to talk. Uh, and now, um, the last interview for tonight's episode is uh, Jenny Jaffe, who was uh, a writer, comedian for, um, writer performer for College Humor, uh, but has formed a nonprofit dealing with uh, mental illness, uh, kind of support for, uh, for uh, mental illness. And it seems to be focused on, well, not just Comic-Con, but, but the kind of, fandom community and they made quite an impression a few weeks ago and we ran the video on fanboy planet with a video of uh, with with an interview with will wheaton talking about his struggles with depression and and feelings of of anxiety social anxiety and so forth and actually i've got to say on facebook that's probably the most response i've ever gotten on anything we've ever run on fanboy planet Uh people saying thank you sharing that's the most shared page we've had in quite some time and you know so clearly strikes a chord you know is this thing where i feel strongly as well that we need to be open and honest and be talking about this and getting people that need help help and so i got the chance to sit down with jenny jaffe the founder of the you are okay foundation Although the way it's written out, you are okay. You I rock. thought it was you rock. She said, I'll take either. So yeah. we, we spoke uh, to her at the restaurant at the Omni Hotel in San Diego. So without further ado, Jenny Jaffe. We're here at Comic-Con with Jenny Jaffe, who is the founder of You're Okay. Yes. There we go. Yes. So I got it right. Yeah, you got it right. Yeah. Because what happens is once you tell me how to pronounce it, I single go the other way. And, uh, okay. And I, well, it so can I'm be glad either. I got it right. Yeah. It can totally be either. It's either Project You're Okay or Project You Rock, and I am equally happy with I both pronunciations. Either and uh, which, uh, I guess last week or two weeks ago, really made a splash with yeah. this video with Will Wheaton. And I'd say probably the most responsive we've got on our side running it as well. And people contact me saying, thank you. 
And amazing That's talking awesome. About, uh, talking about mental illness. So first of all, how did you get involved in this as a project? That makes oh, that makes me super happy to hear. Yeah, it's, uh, I can't believe it's only been two weeks. Everything's. We found out we were going to be here. I was invited to be here about a week and a half ago. So this has been a really insane two weeks for us. Um, so uh, I started um, Project You Were Okay. I started working on it about last August, and then. Um, uh, we launched officially on April 17th. So the idea was basically to harness uh, sort of the power of social media and the power of YouTube um, and sort of the mental health support communities that already existed out there, um, but to sort of do it in a way that was very specific, that was very focused on mental illness destigmatization for teens and young adults, um, and to do it in a way that was... Um, sort of uh, similar to what was already being done, just we can monitor the comments, we have mental health professionals on our board, we can sort of curate a resources page, and we can sort of like operate as a framework uh, for uh, these communities um, to sort of utilize us as a platform. Well, what led you to it? I mean, obviously, I do think, think there was a great need for it. Thank obviously, you. again, because the response we got was just like, and it does seem to be some prevalent in the community now realizing yes but what attracted what uh, drove you to it is a better question I don't like attracting well effectively yeah well effectively I've, I've sort of cre- set out to create the community that I wanted to exist when I was a teenager um, I struggled with some pretty significant mental health um, issues um, from the time I was really really young and you know I say struggled with I will continue to cope with mental illness for the rest of my life because it is a chronic illness um uh, to much lesser degrees, uh, luckily, now. Um, but so I was sort of creating uh, the resource I wish I'd had when I was feeling very isolated. And I was pretty sure that I was, you know, the only person going through the things I was going through. And certainly at the age I was going through them. So um, what uh, drove me to the project was uh, that I think uh, the isolation is really what can be worse. Uh, worse um, for teenagers and um, the fourth leading cause of suicide in teenagers is feeling isolated so we're and so we're sort of trying to remove that isolation and create a sense of like well there are other people out there um, who have gone through this before me and who are doing okay now and it's largely people who are slightly older peers um, people who are wonderful like Will Wheaton who uh, you know have uh, done such cool things with their life and you think like well if they could do that then um, maybe I can too and we hope that everybody who clicks on the site sees somebody who reflects their story their background their diagnosis and somebody who they can sort of like see themselves in now I uh, said so you struggled with this in, in high school as a teen uh, and I should have mentioned up top because you told me that you work for College Humor you are did, a, yeah, a TV yeah. writer yeah. so do you think that part of that drove you to comedy because we you know, we talk about that, the comedy is often driven by pain. Oh, 100%. I think that one of the things that really attracted me to comedy was it was one of the only ways I was seeing myself represented. And it just, um, I think comedians can talk about things freely in a way that people in other professions can't. So for me to hear somebody like Maria Bamford talk about her OCD was hugely powerful for me. I'd never heard it talked about in a way that didn't terrify me. I'd never heard it talked about by somebody who I admired like that. And um, I'd never heard it talked about by someone who had been through it. Because a lot of the times you're getting advice from doctors and, you know, very well-meaning, very wonderful mental health professionals. uh, But you think, like, well, it's easy for them to say they haven't experienced it. 
So to hear somebody like uh, Maria Bamford or Stephen Fry or Sarah Silverman or the late, great Robin Williams talk about um, their mental illness was really an important um, experience for me. And so I think I initially wanted to go into comedy because I thought I would love to help somebody else get out of bed in the morning the way this helped me. And it really was, I, I you know, some of the advice that I give kids who I really think are in crisis and you know I'm not a mental health professional but like from personal experiences to pick something that you have to just live for to the next day and it can be as dumb as you want for me that was usually like the next episode of the daily show I just have to see the next episode of the daily show I was dread pirate robertsing myself I was like good night sleep well I'll probably kill you in the morning but like tonight so um I, uh, I've just never heard it that way. That's, that's like, that's how I, that's, that was like my, how, when I was like suicidal, I was, I was my own Dread Pirate Roberts. Uh, I'm going to start using that more because I think that's no, a that's very a great, accurate. And a lot of people will get that. Yeah. Now, what drew Will Wheaton? How did you get Will involved? Well, uh, one of my good friends, um, Mara Wilson, was a Twitter friend of his and she was like, you know, Will talks about his depression all the time. Uh, and I was a huge, I'm a huge Trekkie, obviously. Uh, I think Will Wheaton's a super awesome dude. Uh, I was like, that would be amazing. Will Wheaton wanted to do a video. She tweeted at him and said, like, hey, do you know about Project You Are Okay? Heidi, our publicist, followed up with him. And his, the response was pretty immediate. Because our crew was going to be in L.A. We, unfortunately, weren't going to be able to be there. But um, our awesome crew was. And they met up with him at the Nerdist office and just shot, like, half an hour of this incredible interview that our Charlie, uh, who was our director, who edited the interview as well, cut down to these five minutes, which are really powerful. Will is, like, amazing at talking about about his depression and talking about it in a way that's really well articulated and really approachable and really relatable. And, um, yeah, it was, so, it was just super cool to get Will Wheaton, and it also opened us up to this different world because like I sort of have this I like we are all from a comedy background and pretty much everyone we work with is from a comedy background but to then start opening up to like the world of comics and the world of like sort of like fandom which is something else that really helped me get through things Star Trek helped me get through a lot and it gave me a lot of language about like to use for different things and like um and I think that's a pretty common experience is that people get into different fandoms because they see their experiences reflected in it or because they um, need that sort of escape. And I think that's what it's... Everything exhibiting at Comic-Con is really escapist, so... Uh, uh, I worked with Mark Hamill for a while, and he said... Oh, that's and, awesome. And he said one of the things that the most... He felt, and I, I don't necessarily agree, but, you know, that the most well-adjusted people... In the world of here, because fandom, you work it all out. Absolutely. Costume, you know, and so, one of the responses that, that I got back was somebody, it's a phrase that sometimes frustrates me, but you might have better insight. People saying, well, if Will Wheaton had difficulty, what hope do I have? That's an interesting way to look at it. I think that's a, um, I, I see what, I see what they mean. I think the thing to remember is that. So, like, I think I think there's a couple things at play. It's really easy to look at someone like Will Wheaton, who's successful, he's wealthy, he's white and male, and cisgender and straight. Like, he's, like, got the world on a string. But 
depression doesn't discriminate. And I think the lesson isn't that, man, if he went through it, then what hope do the rest of us have? It's he went through it, and so will everybody else. Like, or, or he went through his issue, and everyone else will get through their issue. Um, I think, you know, um, the reality is, like, the, when you're depressed, there's no amount of good things in your life that can... You know, I had I was lucky. I had a really wonderful family growing up. I had a family that could afford to get me treatment. Um, you know, I really um, acknowledge that incredible privilege. Um, I, you know, didn't have a job that was on the line if I talked to somebody about my depression, you know? So I, I think... Uh-oh, it's train. Hang on. Hang this on for a, a train. Yeah, well, what Sarah just uh, very helpfully said... Brilliantly stated. Brilliantly stated. Truly. Sarah's wonderful. I should hire her. Um, uh, what Sarah just brilliantly stated is that, uh, in addition to uh, mental health not discriminating, the fact that there is no, there are no real external circumstances that can solve your mental illness besides talking about it. And that was the thing that ultimately got Will through it. And that's the thing that most people find is that there are not really many external circumstances that can change the way there's no external circumstances that can change the way your brain has been wired to process the world. The only thing that can help you is you starting to sort through those things, you know, in therapy, being open with the people in your life, getting the support you need. Am I saying this correctly, Sarah? Do you, do you, do you want to say what you just said again? Can I? Can I bring Sarah in? Sarah, what's this your is, last name? It's Sarah Hartshorn. Sarah Hartshorn's the vice president and production coordinator, so she yeah. helped the Will Wheaton video happen as well. I did from afar. It was really hard not to be there. Um, but uh, what I helped him was acknowledging that he had a problem, and I think he also did it in part because his wife encouraged him. And he's a great example of how self-care isn't selfish. He's a better husband now because of it, I think, and I find I'm a better wife when I take care of myself and a better person, a better employee. I can help Jenny better. And he's also an example of how mental health care is often viewed as a luxury. And so it was something that he was able to easily access. Uh, but I think the dramatic difference in his life and in all the people who've made videos show that it shouldn't be a luxury and it should be available to everybody because all of the privilege in the world didn't, uh, you know, didn't change the fact that he was mentally ill. He just still had, like, this extra leg up. So yeah. I guess the thing, like, yeah, it's not about, like, being like, well, that's easy for Will to say or whatever. It's about saying everybody should have that same ease of experience and it's about trying to level that playing field. So is there a political component to this? Because one of the things that I see, uh, especially in California, but I'm sure it's just my personal experience is we seem to have done a poor job of dealing with the the extremely mentally ill uh, in the state. So the political element is, you say it shouldn't be a luxury, but most insurance policies (laughs) don't Cover it. Absolutely. Oh, this, I mean, look, this is like one of my huge platforms. I'm so ready to talk about this right well, now. Well, then I'm ready to Great. let you have this platform. Um, thank you. Uh, I think that, I mean, as a country, we're just now figuring out that people should have access to physical health care. Like, we are so backwards uh, as, as far as our priorities go. Um, and I think that one of the things so I think that the first step on the road to making mental health um, uh, making mental health care readily available is to 
um, start thinking about why we don't prioritize it. And I think the stigma surrounding it is one of the big reasons. Um, I think that we, down to the language we use around it, I think that people are generally afraid of the term mental illness. But I think the problem is uh, the phrase mental illness is, or the phrase mentally ill is often assigned to people that we find invaluable to society. And I think people dismiss it. They're like, well, oh, that, like, um, you know, I think that um, people. when we devalue the people who struggle with mental illness, we then start to be like, well, it's not something that we need to focus on as a society. It's like we um, use it to excuse away the reasons that people... We either use it to excuse away the reasons somebody has committed a heinous action, like we invoke it then, or we use it to um, explain away the homelessness problem. It's like, well, they're mentally ill. It's like, well... Right. So what are why so why aren't we taking care of them? And it's like I have a mental illness and I think it's important for people like me, people like Will, people like the people on our website to say, I have a mental illness too. Are you saying I'm not valuable? Are you saying you don't want to take care of me? And to sort of start and just to sort of start talking about it. I think we're a long ways away from being able to actually and certainly I am a very long way away from being able to actually influence any sort of um, policy change around this but I certainly think that down the line this is one of the big battles that um, is going to have to be fought. I think it's a social justice issue because uh, as far as uh, mental health access goes it is a hugely it's like like, um, it is a hugely classist issue I think um, there's this view of like therapy as something sought by, uh, by people on like wealthy people on the Upper East Side sitting on their analyst couch. It's a, it's a cultural thing, too. It absolutely people, is. How many times people don't get over it? Time will heal all wounds. Right. Uh, or you're just being a wuss. So. And I think, yeah, exactly. I think that um, for men, that's a big component, too. I think that, um, uh, so it's a feminist issue in that way. It's a gender equality issue because... Um, I think there is an amount of uh, people telling, like, especially, like, young boys and men, like, don't cry, suck it up, get over it. And that's why uh, more men end up successfully killing themselves. Um, uh, So I think it's, like, an issue. It is an equality issue across the board. And I also think that the more mentally healthy people we have walking around the more people who have done dealt with their mental health the more we like i think i think that there will be significant improvement across the board i think we're going to find that um we have a less violent world that we have a world that relies on uh drugs less i think we're gonna like i just i i think that a the root of a lot of cultural of social issues is that people haven't dealt with their personal mental health, and I think that sort of spirals outwards and outwards and outwards. You know, obviously, I know, and we all know that we can't speak for everybody's experience, and the experience of mental illness is different across the board, uh, based on a wide variety of variables. The best we can do is build out a platform where people can tell their stories and other people can see their stories being told. Uh, we want to try and amplify um, underheard voices as best we could, and I think that's one of the biggest things you can do 
um, when fighting any cause, uh, fighting for any cause. I think it's all about figuring out where your voice is valuable, where you need to just be like stepping back and amplifying another voice, and um, and saying uh, we're all going to be allies in each other's fights. And um, I, I, but I do, I do, th- I do think that th- that like mental health is not thought of. Uh, as being a, as being a healthcare issue, it's not like it wasn't even really on the table when we were talking about the Affordable Health Care Act, um, you know, for the past couple of years and in the past couple of weeks with the Supreme Court decision. It, it's just uh, it wasn't even like really thrown onto the floor because that would have been such a complicating factor. So I uh, just wrap it up so we can get to eat your burger. Uh, Thank you. The website is. Project U R O K. Spell it out. Spell the the letters. Yeah. Yes, you, the uh, letters the, U R O K. Right. Dot uh, com or dot, dot org. org. Dot org. And uh, we're on social media across all social media at Project U R O K. We've made ourselves very easy to find. We have a really responsive social media manager who is pretty great about getting back to um, comments and concerns. We're not mental health care professionals. We're pretty clear on that. We just. Um, but uh, we do have a uh, wide variety of resources that people can uh, utilize. Um, we're trying to be a more international organization and trying to find resources from different countries. So we've gotten a, like a huge amount of response from South America. We've been trying to do more videos in Spanish. We're trying to do we're It's hard with our um, sort of limited scope and resources to do everything we want to do, but we're doing our best. Uh, to create the most comprehensive resource possible. And it's Dr. Gray's start. Thank you Thank so much. Thank you so for much. I really time. appreciate it. So, what I like about this is it fulfills our little closing mandate of we get to use our powers for good by giving light to this kind of organization. So, very, very it's happy to do that. It's an important thing. And, and absolutely. The, the, uh, one of the most important things is for people who are self analyzing to understand that they are not wrong or bad right exactly and we covered that but you know and and that's uh and i think that a lot of that needs to come and i'm hoping we'll still have conversations in the future uh, with jenny as well as uh, people like chase masterson who's running Mm -hmm. the anti-bullying campaigns to realize that there's that fandom and and if i may i guess the genre stars are in a unique position because a lot of the people that feel alienated, not to tar us all with this big brush, but I think that is true. I think you kind of discover science fiction and fantasy because it's sort of a place of acceptance in fiction, in and certainly I, I've witnessed this in fandom where where there's an acceptance that you don't necessarily get elsewhere. So the people that, that do feel a little isolated. So when someone like as John Barrowman spoke at at, mm-hmm. at Comic Con, when someone who seems to have it all together. John Barrowman can speak honestly about being horribly bullied in, in elementary school and high school. Uh, it, it does, not to be cliched there, but you know it does get better. It shows there is if you can that there is another side and you can make it through. So we this is not a topic we'll be dropping and moving on to the next thing just blithely. We'll be circling back whenever we can to shed light on it. So thank you for. Sticking with us at this point, once again, uh, you can find us on iTunes, the Stitcher app, the uh, Pod Bay. I remembered it because I thought of 2001. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, of course, you can fi- uh, find Amazon links on Fanboy Planet, www.fanboyplanet.com. And, uh, of course, there's that 
PayPal link as well. You, If you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, and we welcome such, please write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. And uh, keep joining us back for more conversations. And until we meet again. And I'll remain so because I don't really change identity. I'm not a chameleon. I'm not, I'm not a Durlin. Uh, I am Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And I'm Rick Snyder, reminding you to use your powers only for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com. The power of brains compels you. And I'm Rick Snyder reminding you to use your powers only for good. Fanboy. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> And that actually happens mentally in my head every Every time time we sign that off.